Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by functional podiatrist, Dr. Emily Spleichel. Dr. Emily and I had a great conversation around the foot, the foot structure, how it's supposed to function, how our entire body's function plays into the role of the foot, and when and why orthotics may be necessary. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Dr. Emily, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing amazing. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. I am thrilled to get you on here. You are a podiatrist. You do not do what most podiatrists do, which is why I'm really excited to talk to you. And you term yourself a functional podiatrist, um, a name you gave yourself, which I love. (laughs) So I want you to just kind of dive into, or just kind of give a little background of who you are and how you got to uh, like become the podiatrist that you are and kind of the direction that you went. Absolutely. So, um, I am a podiatrist, but before I went into podiatry school, I was, I was an athlete. I was a gymnast for 13 years. So that influenced me in ways that I didn't realize would influence the rest of my career. Um, but it gave an appreciation for movement performance and it's a barefoot sport. So that's going to tie in, um, a little bit later of how we talk about barefoot. Um, and then I got into fitness and with fitness, my, my big aspect within fitness is that fitness is movement. My passion is linked to movement. So when I found myself going through podiatry school, a lot of what was being taught to me from a very traditional way of supportive shoes and orthotics and, you know, let's not get our patient out of the chair. It's just kind of the foot is disconnected from the rest of the human being. It kind of countered with every prior experience I had with, with the body, with movement, with performance. And I decided that that's not how I'm going to practice podiatry. Um, so I went back to school, got my master's in human movement, and then that was able to connect you know, my past as, as a gymnast and athlete, so I understand how to move. And then a trainer being in fitness, teaching classes, then podiatry, and then the master's in human movement. So I kind of meld all of those to have the functional podiatry, which means I take an integrative holistic approach at foot function, foot pain, foot pathology, how the foot connects to the rest of the body. And uh, it really allows me to practice the way that I want and to help people in the way that actually does help them versus putting band-aids on certain conditions. Awesome. So when, so I guess a lot of times when someone sees a podiatrist or even just the physical therapist or whoever, it's like, there's a foot and ankle issue. It's automatically let's put orthotics on you. Cause that's the like solution to their problem essentially, or what they think is a solution to the problem. When someone comes to you, what do you do and how do you develop their, your treatment plan in order to actually fix the problem rather than just throw that bandaid on them? Yeah, I think that my approach with my patients is to, the, the questions I ask and the history I take is very, um, very detailed and it goes back towards, um, you know, their athletic history. What is their, their training like? What is their recovery program? So I get like a, a bigger profile. What is their occupation? Do they stand? Do they, do they walk? What are their 
kind of what is their day-to-day stress on their body. And then I go into a very detailed injury history, which includes much more than just the foot that, you know, if they were, you know, um, had a baby five years ago, I need to know that. And I also need to know if it was a C-section or it was a vaginal birth that affects the feet that affects the way that your body coordinates stabilization um, or things where I know it's getting a little bit more um, higher, but if someone has had, I had a patient yesterday who had a mastectomy and some of the reconstructions from mastectomy is they used to do these pec rotations where they would actually detach and, and take muscles and rotate them and that's totally going to throw off the way that, that the body stabilizes. So I get a really detailed history on prior surgeries, prior injuries that far exceed just the foot. Um, and then I take in kind of their overall, you know, mind, body, stress, sleep patterns. Uh, and then my actual assessment is going into, obviously I'm doing a traditional foot assessment. And then I do the closed chain perspective. I do a gait assessment on every single patient. I have them do step up, step downs, overhead squats, kind of like an SFMA type assessment as well. And then I modified a little bit based off of their need. If they are a golfer, I watch them doing their golf swing. I will use certain force plates to assess and help in that assessment. Um, If they are a dancer, I have them do their exact movements and replicate the entire movement pattern that might be triggering some of their pain um, and and try to get as full and comprehensive picture as possible and then i go into the recommendations of you know do we need advanced imaging of course i send them out for that and then i go into my recommendations from a lifestyle perspective That means that anything that I recommend is not, uh, hey, do this twice a week for six weeks and then whoop, you're gone. It's more, this is what you need to do to keep your feet healthy forever, which means there's little habits that you need to integrate. So I call them more lifestyle changes. Um, And then to me, what the patient is doing that is consistent. So I do small doses consistently creates a much better response than, like I said, do these 10 things twice a week. And then, you know, uh, I track the way that compliance and patience is. And I find that if you become a little bit, you know, give them too much, they just shut down mentally and they don't do anything. <laughs> so I, I progress them much slower than I think people would expect. Um, but any of those correctives is also very integrative meaning that they're doing breath patterns, they're doing um, pelvic floor exercises, of course, they're doing foot exercises, and then maybe I send them out for somatic work or acupuncture or to a nutritionist or, you know, do infrared sauna and IV, uh, you know, chelation if you need it, and then cryo and like I'm into all the biohacking stuff too. So I try to offer that for my patients, Um, but that's how I try to do it versus going towards a quick fix, injection, surgery, orthotic, supportive shoe. Changing the lifestyle is going to be the ultimate way to do it, just because we do, we aren't always in shoes. Yes, someone may wear shoes the entire waking hours of their day for the most part, but it's like you're still walking from your bed to the bathroom or, you know, these little distances in your house. And we, we need to be able to function without shoes on. And along with that, 
we're humans that were given feet for a reason. <laughs> we're supposed to use them for a reason. And so to, to just kind of mask everything and not look at that, I think is a disservice to people. Right. And that's why what I try to recommend for those that are a little bit more resistant from a patient personality or um, maybe their work demands, which I completely understand because we're all bombarded with work and life and children and, and whatever we're trying to do. So I try to make it fit their reality. So I'm also a, a realist in my approach where, you know, if I were to just say, never, ever do this, or you have to do 30 minutes of barefoot activation every day, and you have to do, that's not realistic. And if I just kind of keep saying that, like, you have to do it, then that could potentially turn off some patients, or it's also just not, I don't know, it's just not connecting to the patient and the human that they actually are. It's like, they know that this is what they need to do but fitting it into their lifestyle is very difficult for people to do. And I try to do that by giving them little tiny pearls where my, my easiest go-tos are, you know, have lacrosse ball or golf ball in your bathroom. And when you brush your teeth, release your feet. Like at least you're like, then you're not doing anything extra, right? You're just doing two for two for one. Great. Okay. And then if you are, you know, cooking or, you know, putting on your makeup or whatever other thing that you're doing, just try to stand on one leg every once in a while and push your toes down, which is short foot. And that becomes something that they're doing a two for one. And then with the Naboso insults that I know we're going to speak about, if you put that in your shoes and you wear your shoes anyway, wait, wait, got a two for one here. So how can we, right, kind of fit them in to make it a reality for them? And I really think that's the best method for success because I'm the same way with my, with all of my clients. That's like, I don't give them 15 different exercises to do. I pinpoint the main issues, give them three or four. And it's like, you don't have 30 minutes during the day to do them. Cool. You have 10 minutes in the morning, 10 in the middle of the day and 10 in the evening and, or, you know, however it works with their schedule. But I think it really is just figuring out like, how can we make something work with your lifestyle to make this happen? Exactly. Yeah. And a, a lot of the patients that I see, um, I actually have a very high compliancy rate with my patients because my patients have exhausted a lot of other physicians, doctors, physical therapists, modalities, and they're kind of at their wits end. And they're just like, I need someone thinking outside of the box, you know, whatever you say, like I am ready because I've just, I'm at, at the bottom of my list, essentially. Um, so I do have a very high compliancy rate from that as well. Um, and I do think that, so I don't, I don't take insurance. And when a patient has to pay, there's a little bit higher investment because they've, they've investment, invested not just in their time, but then like monetarily they've invested. So sometimes they, they take it a little bit more seriously. And I find that with my with my patients, but even when I was in traditional podiatry, taking insurance, seeing patients nine to five, and I had literally 15 minutes to see a patient because of the insurance requirements, I still would have a high compliancy rate. And I feel that it might be in the, either the way that I communicate it, that I do give them these small little lifestyle changes, or it's in, um, I guess, just the, uh, I put my patients on a very high expectation and I speak to them on a very high level. I don't speak in like a kindergarten or level. I actually try to educate them 
on their body and maybe they become a little bit more invested. Um, I'm not sure, but that, that compliancy trick is the biggest part. Yeah. Well, I think like even when you're saying you're in the insurance world and have that good compliance, I think it is a lot about that relationship because I know there's a lot of um, data out there as far as the physicians who have malpractice filed against them. They aren't the best doctors. They're the ones who like they relate really well to their, their people and, and, you know, have that good relationship rather than just kind of like blowing people off all the time. So I think building those relationships does help with that. Well, in every profession, regardless of the profession of those that are listening, if you're trainers, if you're, you know, an accountant or you're a doctor, whatever it is that you are, your clients, your customers, your patients need to have trust and transparency. And those are the two biggest things with medicine in particular is they need to trust you. They want to feel that they're actually being heard is the, the thing that I see a lot with my patients of them saying, which is why I pulled out of insurance and I do essentially a 60 minute consultation. So you have 60 minutes of undivided attention where you, I'm at your disposal to ask me any questions. Um, of course, after I'm done answering, asking my questions, um, but, <laughs> but I never listen to them. They're not on like a, okay, just get to the point of what you wanted to say. Um, and I think that that's extremely valuable. So they feel heard. So that has, you know, a trust relationship as that you were saying, but then the transparency aspect of it is that when I have a patient, I'm, I constantly explain to them why I'm coming up with the differentials that I am and then why I'm ruling out those differentials. And this is of course very important when it comes to things that are a little bit more serious. Like uh, let's say you have a neurological issue and your client thinks they have a brain tumor, like, <laughs> right? You have to really justify where and how these things would present. So with my patients, I would say, you know, I think that it is this, and if I order an MRI and it shows yes, it's not going to change anything that I say to you right now. It's not going to change our treatment plan or any decision making. So I don't think that it is beneficial right now at this point to order a nerve conduction test or an MRI. If you want to, of course, I can send you for whatever, but some of it is quasi not abusing the system, but you don't have to MRI everything. Like you have to trust your clinical skill and that, so I want them to know that versus saying you never MRI and you should have, therefore you're at medical malpractice. Like I actually explain. So they hear my thoughts in, in my head. Um, and I feel that that then increases trust as well. Yeah. Everyone should do that. Even a trainer and a coach should do that with their clients. Yeah. I have those conversations all the time with people when they're, you know, say they want to get an MRI or this, that, and the other scan. And, and it's kind of like, that's like, I, based on all my testing, I'm not seeing anything. It's not going to change what we do. I change based on functional patterns I see and this, that, and the other. And, and kind of just giving them that understanding, like it was well, probably going to show something because you're over the age of 30 and our bodies have been used and it's going to show something, but it doesn't mean that that's the problem of cause of your pain necessarily. Right. right. But if you explain that, then they, then they know the reason for your decision-making versus it being that you're just lazy and you don't want to order it. Yeah, absolutely. When talking about orthotics, 
they are a band-aid. I want you to kind of go into like what they, I guess what they do for the foot itself. Like when it is maybe advised to use temporarily to kind of solve a problem. But then also I want you to kind of get further into what happens to the body long-term with orthotic use. Yeah. So orthotics, this is the, the key thing when it comes to orthotics or insoles and arch supports. So anything that's under the foot as an interface, you can have orthotics. We'll just call them all orthotics for, for now. Orthotics can either be accommodating or actually changing your foot's biomechanics. So there's actually a couple different reasons of why you may order them, um, which means that the clinician or the practitioner or the trainer or the coach or the patient should also just understand that in some cases there actually is a need. Not, ortho not all orthotics are bad. There is a time and place for them, but then there's also a time and place for either accommodative or actually changing your foot's mechanics. The accommodative ones are, the best analogy is like a memory foam. So think of like a memory foam mattress where it just kind of it accommodates your body. So the commercials where you're lying on your side and then it kind of fits the shape of your body for pressure distribution. That's what it does, okay? Now, pressure distribution is important for those that might have um, like hot spots under the foot, like little calluses that are really hot or even like sesamoid issues that are really hot. As we get older, we lose fat in our feet, so you get fat pad atrophy. So you may want something that is accommodative to shift and better distribute force under your foot. There, there's time and place for those. Um, the other ones that actually change your biomechanics are changing it through modifications of the orthotic, which is like a post or a wedge under the heel that is Con controlling the way that your rear foot, subtalar joint, I don't want to make it too technical unless people want to go technical, <laughs> your subtalar joint, or it has a built-in arch, right? So orthotics that just drive your arch up, they, they change the foot mechanics by lifting the arch, which is your navicular, if it's too technical, lifting the navicular. And then anytime you lift the arch in the navicular, you essentially invert and supinate the rear foot. So you could, you could modify foot mechanics through two ways, either a post or by driving the arch up. Okay. And then there's a few other ones that you can do different paddings and things like that for the front of the foot that change the way that your big toe moves. That's a big one that I use orthotics for. Um, or other like cuboid issues and, and things like that. But the main reason that a majority of people get orthotics is because they have flat feet or are overpronating. I'm quoting for those that can't see it, <laughs> overpronating. And you control flat feet or overpronation by either driving the arch up or putting a wedge on the inside of the heel, which is called a post, okay? Now again, there's time and place for both of these. The biggest thing when it comes to which one would you choose? Let's say as an example, you have someone with flat feet. This is in quote, because flat feet doesn't mean anything. You can have under flat feet, you have a pancake foot. And then under flat feet, you have overpronation. The difference between these is that someone with a pancake foot 
doesn't, their foot's not rolling inward. They just have no arch. So if you looked at their foot when they're just sitting with their foot out in space and they're sitting on a chair and it's extended out, it looks flat. Like you can see it across the room that that's a flat foot, no arch foot, which I call pancake foot because flat foot is just confusing. People use it in different ways. So a pancake foot, if you look at on x-ray, all of the bones of a pancake foot are horizontal to the floor. They actually don't have any sort of inclination or declination to the bone. So if I looked at an x-ray, it would just, you could tell that that's a pancake foot because the bones are parallel to the floor. This is genetic. Um, a lot of them are rigid. So pancake feet are oftentimes rigid. You see them genetically through certain, um, I'm trying to blank, not cultural, uh, lineages, because I'm trying to blank, I apologize. Uh, African and Asian, because these are the oldest populations on this planet, typically have more pancake feet, which means they have no arch and they're a little bit more rigid. Again, this is, I'm not making stereotypes. These are just associations from traveling literally around the world to see all these different feet. Okay. So that foot being rigid, rigid pancake, if you try to drive an arch in a foot where the bones are parallel to the floor, it's not going to work. These people do not tolerate hard plastic arch support, uh, posted orthotics. They need to be in an accommodative one, which is essentially redistributing force. Okay. Someone who has a flexible flat foot or an overpronated where when they're sitting in open chain and they have this beautiful arch and then they stand up and their foot goes boom. That is the classic foot that responds to a custom orthotic with a high hard plastic arch support or a post because you're essentially trying able to manipulate bones that can be manipulated. So you can try to control the way that their foot moves and the arch kind of drops. Okay. So that's important to understand is the different types of quote unquote flat feet accommodative versus an actual, um, uh, posted or something that manipulates biomechanics. And then the third aspect of that, of your question is, well, when do they need that? Why do they need that? And maybe they don't need that, right? So that goes based off of their pain level. Do they have pain? And then the severity of either the rigid pancake foot or the flexible overpronated foot. How severe is it? If it's very severe, meaning uh, it looks like their whole midfoot is like spilling onto the floor, that becomes more moderate to severe. What happens if you keep moving and running and dancing and, and all of that stuff on that type of foot, you eventually start to stress the soft tissue. You could tear some of the tendons and then you live with chronic pain for the rest of your life. <laughs> and you, you start to get arthritis in the joints. Like it just stresses the foot and it could break down, right? But that's when you're on this moderate to severe scale of flexible overpronation the majority of where a lot of people sit is between mild to moderate. They're not on the other side of the spectrum. They're more on the lower end of the spectrum. So in those with mild to moderate, very mild where you're like, I think they're overpronating, 
eat. No, don't. They're not overpronating, right? A little bit of pronation is good and healthy. So if you see just like a little bit, no problem, fine. Easy peasy. Strengthen your feet, strengthen your glutes, strengthen your core. If you're kind of just a little bit more where you're like, uh, and they're, they're starting to complain about their plantar fascia or like the inside of their ankle along the post tib, then you could say, well, when you stand all day for your job because you're a trainer or you're a police officer or you're a, a teller or you're whatever, then you're going to use an orthotic because you're just you're just fatiguing your system and let's just kind of save that stress for when you're you're at the gym or something or your degree of pronation as soon as you accelerate and you run a little bit faster or you do um, box jumps and more ballistic movement you just kind of bottom out your foot it becomes a little bit more escalated in how much you're pronating then you could say when you do those activities let's put in an, an appropriate orthotic with posting and arch to just give a little bit of control, but still have some flex to the orthotic, right? And then all the other times, no orthotic needed. So it's kind of personalizing based off of the foot type, the severity of the foot type, their pain slash injury history, and then the demands they're gonna put under their foot. I know that that was very long and I apologize, but I, it, that's why you can't just say orthotics are bad or everyone needs orthotics. Both sides of that spectrum, there's so much gray in between. And that's the art of, of experience, honestly, is finding someone who believes that there's a wide spectrum and then practices with that belief and then has the the clinical experience to know when to navigate in which way. Yeah. And that makes it the ton of sense as far as for those people just wearing on those strategic times of the day. So if someone has say mild overpronation is in an orthotic 24 seven or, you know, as much as they're on their feet long-term, like what does that do to the body or what can it do to the body? Yeah. So let's say, and I, I think that was part of your question. So no worries. Um, let's say you have someone who actually has a mild overpronation. Okay. So they, they're actually on the more mild side. They went to the podiatrist and the podiatrist was like, Oh, you have flat feet, you're pronating, you need orthotics. So they were like, okay, I don't know. Let me get the $500 orthotics. So they did. And now they're wearing them all the time. What happens in all cases of orthotics, but it has a higher impact when the person doesn't actually need it per se, then it becomes more why you're asking this question, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens when we chronically use supportive shoes and supportive orthotics and things like that, that we'll call like quasi braces in a sense, is there is research showing that you get denervation of the intrinsic muscles of the foot. You actually get atrophy of the intrinsic muscles of the foot the intrinsic muscles of the foot are the small muscles in the bottom of the foot that you can think of as analogous to the pelvic floor and the deep core muscles of our trunk. That if, you're, if your deep core is not engaging, you know that your pelvis is not stable. You know that you're at risk of you know, straining your lower back, your hips, your SI joint, things like that. You're not going to be as strong. You won't be as fast, right? So that analogy to the foot where the intrinsics are atrophied 
or denervated, your foot becomes slower at stabilizing. And then when you get out of the orthotic, you're essentially screwed because you don't have the strength and the reaction time and the sensory perception to create optimal movement patterns that uh, do not put you at risk for injury. And then in the case of athletics, we're looking for obviously, you know, the, the subtleties in, in stabilization and coordination that really defines high level athletes. And that's where the foot comes into place. So you need to be very connected to the feet from a sensory perspective, from an intrinsic muscles perspective, and then from an integrated perspective. Perfect. And I think that's a good, especially since you're talking about the athletes there, it's a good transition into talking about Naboso. And now let's take a little break to talk about Naboso technology. We're always looking for that way to get an edge up on our competitor, but not necessarily by having to spend more time training. That's where Naboso technology can really help you. Naboso technology provides the first ever small nerve proprioceptive insoles and mats designed to stimulate the nervous system and enhance movement. So what does this mean? It means by using their insoles or training barefoot on their mats, you improve the stability of your system. You improve your proprioceptive system. So you're naturally creating a more resilient body and a stronger body just by using Naboso. I absolutely love training with their products because I know it's a huge impact in how my strength, stability, and control improves just by incorporating it into my workouts. I highly encourage you to go check out Naboso and see what you may be able to do to step up your game. You can find more out at nabosotechnology.com. How is that spelled? naboso-technology.com and if you use code highly functional you can save 10% at checkout you can also find naboso technology along with all of my partners at getyourfixpt.com/partners and now let's get back to our conversation yes barefoot's awesome but we still have to wear shoes when we play most sports so Let's dive into Naboso, what it is and what it can actually do for us. Yes, so Naboso is, it's a textured, proprioceptive insole and mat and flooring company um, that I developed three years ago. And the material that all of the products are made out of have a small texture across the entire surface. The texture is really what's called two-point discrimination which an analogy is Braille. So how Braille, the dots of Braille, the way that you're able to read it is because when you touch the dots, you're differentiating the two points. That's what your nervous system does. Your brain does that through your fingertips. We do that same thing through the skin and the feet is that your nervous system slash brain feels the little pyramids and the distance between the pyramids and discriminates them and is able to orientate and feel the feet to build foot awareness. That translates to body awareness, balance, posture, gait. So whether it's the insoles that you're putting into a shoe to enhance uh, 
foot sensation despite being in a shod or shoe environment, you're going to get heightened foot awareness. Or if you are training barefoot anyway, which I know you do on, on the Naboso mat and you, you show videos of that, you're barefoot on the Naboso mat, you're doing that to heighten your awareness to your foundation, to get your feet engaging more, to feel more connected, to get into your core. Total translation to the way that we would perhaps train or the quality of the exercises that we do. Um, and then we work with a lot of rehabilitation aspects, which I know you had a, a recent foot injury. And that could be the same thing as coming off of a foot injury, you're going to have a slight delay in your foot sta stabilization or whatever joint, whatever joint, you, you get a slight delay. The Naboso products accelerate that delay because we train the nervous system proprioceptively or through sensory somatosensory stimulation. And then that translates to a lot of um, really powerful movement improvements. Yeah, it's been really fun. I mean, I've luckily have never had an injury for a really long time. <laughs> um, so it's been fun to actually use this to rehab and just kind of, you know, it's hard to know how fast I would have returned, like feeling that stability and control without it versus with it. Um, just like, cause I don't know the normal process of a Liz Frank brain like I had, but, um, cause I've never had one and I've never seen a patient with one, <laughs> but I like with how fast and I'm in seeing improvements, I can definitely, I'd have to say some of it is related to doing a lot of this stuff on the mat. Yeah, I mean, so when you stimulate the skin in the bottom of the feet, in, in this case, we're talking about Naboso, so uh, through a sensory stimulation of texture, what happens when you stimulate the skin is that the intrinsic muscles contract. So for your case and for anyone who is listening and is like, oh my gosh, I have a Liz Frank injury too. <laughs> your Liz Frank joint is super critical on how you control your midfoot, kind of the medial column of your foot. And then that, that will influence the way that you go over your big toe. So pushing off or change of direction or anything we're in like a, a calf raise position is essentially what I'm kind of mimicking where you would take a step. That position of the foot, if you did a calf raise, greatly stresses the Liz Frank joint. So you need your foot to be very stiff and compact and stable through the isometric contractions of the intrinsic muscles. We drive that through stimulating the skin and the feet. So and I had this thought the other day, and so I'm, I'm just going to ask you. So I know you have the insoles for the shoes. Do you then recommend people not wear socks, or how does the sock play into that feedback? Yes, so if you wear, if you wear socks, it's just in general. Let's say you say you, you are saying that you train barefoot, and then I'll get to your... <laughs> your <laughs> A roundabout way but let's say you train barefoot now but your variation of barefoot is with your socks on I would encourage you if you are in a location your own home versus a private gym and you can train completely barefoot without shoes that is truly what barefoot training is I would encourage you because socks are still a barrier 
yes, you do get freedom of movement of the feet and you're not in a heel toe drop and there's no cushion, but you're not feeling the ground. You're not connecting to it energetically or proprioceptively with the ground. So if you're barefoot, you get increased sensory input. Socks are a barrier to that sensory input. Let's go to the shoes. If you put the Naboso insoles in your shoe, yes, you get more stimulation when you're barefoot, no socks. However, this is the reality of what we were talking about in the beginning. Not everyone is going to wear no socks. So we recommend wearing thin socks and we've actually increased the stimulation of our insoles for that reason. So we put out more and more stimulation to the insoles because we know that the reality is people need to wear socks. Um, and so that's kind of that sweet spot of how you could balance that. If you're barefoot, that's ideal. I get it if you can't. So then we say thin, thin socks. The thicker your socks, it is going to take away the sensory input from the insoles. Cool, thank you for that. To kind of start wrapping it up, Anything that we have not discussed that you think is highly important from what you see on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, I mean, there's a lot, but <laughs> besides everything, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I would say that the most important thing of how I look at foot health, let's say if you want to be barefoot strong. So hashtag, hashtag that we did yesterday, hashtag barefoot strong is really one of my, uh, it's a catchphrase that I came up. It's a hashtag that I actually came up. I have a Barefoot Strong Summit. My book that I wrote is called Barefoot Strong. To me, Barefoot Strong means that it is a lifestyle of appreciating the importance of your feet. Now, to be Barefoot Strong doesn't mean that you are barefoot everywhere all day walking on the streets and you go to your office barefoot. That's not, that's not what Barefoot Strong means. Barefoot Strong means that you live with the purpose and the intent behind integrated foot function, which means that yes, you do bring in sensory stimulation. That's either through barefoot exercises, that's through using the Novoso products, that's through trigger pointing your release, releasing your feet, it's using vibration and other modalities of sensory enhancement. Um, but it also means keeping the muscles of your feet strong, the intrinsics. So training barefoot or doing short foot exercise, pushing your toes into the ground, Make sure that your feet are integrated with your core. So another thing is that your foot is integrated is what it means to be barefoot. And then the final one is that you really are optimizing the mobility and the fascial health of your foot, which is, you know, myofascial releasing, mobility work, lymphatic work. So all of those components is really what barefoot strong means to me. And to me, being barefoot strong and it's the subtitle of my book, but it's the secret to movement longevity. So really anyone who thinks about their feet, what you're actually investing in is what's called movement longevity. That's the business that I'm in, whether it's Novoso, it's my patients, it's my education that I teach through EBFA, whatever it is, my mission is movement longevity and helping people to achieve movement longevity by understanding their feet from a sensory and integrated perspective. Beautiful. I love that. I think that's a great place to finish. If someone wants to find more out about you or has questions for you, where can they find you? 
So I'm on all the social platforms. Um, Instagram is um, at DrEmilyDPM, so Dr. Emily DPM. Um, EBFA is my education company. I have a lot of educational videos that is not just for professionals. I actually get quite a few patients who watch my education through that. Um, the website is ebfaglobal.com and it links to our YouTube channel where there's hundreds of videos. And then Naboso, which is the proprioceptive mats and insoles, is naboso.com, naboso.com. And then my book is barefootstrong.com. If you don't remember any of that, just Google Dr. Emily Barefoot and you will get all of your <laughs> all of your answers and your links. And they will all be thrown into the show notes of this as well. Well, Dr. Ellie, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you getting on and having this discussion with me. Of course. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And before I close out today, I want to take a moment to talk to you about the foot and ankle fix for runners. Foot and ankle pain is such a common injury with runners, and yet it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be bothering you constantly. It doesn't have to be shutting you down from being able to run. But many times it does because we don't do the right things for it. That is why I created the Foot and Ankle Fix for Runners. It's an online program that'll give you the right things to do in order to resolve your foot and ankle issues once and for all and let you really get back to training like you want to. So if you're interested in checking out the foot and ankle fix for runners, head over to getyourfixpt.com courses and you can see a link for the foot and ankle fix for runners as well as all of my other online programs. Thank you again so much for listening today. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional. <laughs>